What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hello, everybody. I'm Tom Vassell. Hey, everybody. It's me, Rotto Richard Ham. Let me know who's louder and who needs to be quieter, and I'll make that happen. It's always me who's louder. Uh, I Why think is that? It's a uh, with. Yeah, I know. It's a function of eCam. Uh, it makes the the main user louder than the video comes through the internet. I don't know why. Just so you can uh, bowl over everybody, I'm sure, and keep them in their place, more than likely. You know, I'll tell you what, though. I am, for a very inexpensive program, Ecamm has done well this year. I also, you know, for everyone yells about how awful Skype and Zoom and Ecamm and all this stuff are, but they don't charge a lot for them. Yeah, And if you remember, if I wanted to call you, say, 20 years ago on the phone, I would sit ahead of time before calling you and think very carefully about how fast I could say everything so I didn't pay long distance. I was trying to explain to my college daughter what long distance phone calls were and gave up. <laughs> yeah. And you have to call after hours for the evening rates and all the rest of it. That's right. I forgot about evening rates. Yeah. Very important. Well, folks, welcome to Corner to Corner, our end of the year overview. Today will be a special show for a couple of reasons. One, we're taking a look back at 2020, so we'll ignore all our regular features, and we'll just talk about 2020. You have a chance to uh, jump in and be involved. Um, hang on one second. I'm hearing, before we go any farther, people are saying your mic sounds a little off. Really? That's... That's on me, though. Oh, they said that they think it's coming through your camera mic rather than your main Okay, mic. let me, uh, all right, so microphone is set to the Yeti. No, we don't hear it tapping when you touch it. Really? That's weird. How exciting. We've done this 28 times. You think <laughs> I'd have it down by now? <laughs> yeah. What the heck? All right, so this is the Yeti microphone. The Yeti microphone is on. But you're saying you literally do not hear this, which means... Oh, there goes my... Well, I definitely don't hear it now. Okay. Well, all right. That's weird. I'll just try to switch to a backup microphone. Hold, please. Properties. (laughs) Ah, All right. There you go. Um, Not the Yeti. We're going to go over to the Star and turn that on. Oh, wait. Oh. How's that? Is that any better? Sounds the same. Good? No, it's the same? All right, then. We're switching to the attack star. I'll be here right back. <clears throat> All right. I'm now going to do a top 10 of why Rado's wrong about pretty much everything. <laughs> now is the time. Oh, the headphones didn't turn off. Never mind. <laughs> All right. Now, in theory, yeah, this is on. So I'm you. Yep. This is what it should be. I don't know if that's any better. It really sounds like it's coming through your computer. I don't know what that means. 
So you're looking at your Skype settings, right? Oh, Skype. Skype, right. Skype is the thing that holds it all together. Maybe Skype is completely ignoring OBS. Let's come over here. Why would they have done this? I know you said not to complain about Skype, but I might start complaining about Skype pretty vociferously. Yes! What is this default communication device, Skype? You don't get any nano. There you is go. It? Oh, hang on. Now I hear nothing. There we go. Talk. I'm, I am talking. Yep, 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 yep. There you go. That fixed all the problems. Skype! <laughs> How dare you not work perfectly considering the fact that you're completely free software that literally is magic compared to the, the wildest dreams of what we could have imagined as children. Well, also the things that we complain about. Like, you ever go back and listen to radio shows and stuff when someone called in? They'd be like, I'm calling from next door, but it sounds like I'm in Alaska. Yep. All right. Anyhow, um, so, yes, end of the year show. We're just basically over the course of the next hour just talking about the end of the year. It's a three-way conversation, both of us and you. So if you have things that you would like us to talk about, we both already have done (laughs) our top ten lists and other things, too. In fact, I saw that you're getting ready to do your anticipated games Um, I usually wait till January on that one because there's a lot that don't get announced yet. Yep. It's always a largely meaningless um, uh, gesture because guaranteed my best games of the year will not, uh, no one will have heard about them on January 1st, but I'm sure I'll still find a good solid 25 that are worth uh, getting excited about. Oh, sure. Well, just just because of the fact you do Kickstarter previews gives you a, a big leg up on that one. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of, this I'm very excited about. I'm actually going to be filming it after we're done. It's Darwin's Journey from Simone Luciani and Nestor. Oh, Nestor, I always forget your last name. You're right here on the box, though, aren't you, Nestor? Uh, Nestor Mangoni, uh, the team who brought us uh, Newton. Although, uh, this, uh, yeah, yeah, Luciani. Oh, he's one of my favorite designers, uh, you know. Zolkin and uh, Marco Polo, uh, Grand Austria Hotel, and this is fantastic. It is a worker placement game where you slowly train your workers in different disciplines so that they have access to different worker placement spots, or you can uh, basically supplement their basic knowledge with specialized knowledge, and it's all about, you know, exploring the Galapagos and making all kinds of discoveries to further the, uh, you know, discovery of evolution. It's great, as good as you would expect from this team. I'm, I'm very excited uh, Jen, I played it the other day. I can't wait to film it now. And I think it goes live on Kickstarter. Uh, it'll probably be, yep, spoiler, it'll be in my top 25 most anticipated for 2021. <laughs> There's not a lot of spoilers for your list because you're very open about your things. That's so, <laughs> true. It is I already, true. actually, I have a review going up today, which is my current favorite game of 2021. But that's because I played a total of, I think, one game. Although maybe Cubitos counts as 2021, maybe. It is a 2021 game, and it would be in my top three games that of 2021 that I've played so far. Okay. Because I've played. Well, yes, it's easy, to, it's easy to make these sorts of lists. So that's one thing we're talking about 2020. We'll get into that in just a second. The other thing is, hey, it's the end of 2020. This is the last show of this uh, corner to corner in 2020. And sadly, and? the last show for a bit or a while. Dun, dun, well, I want to be really clear. I'm not saying never, folks, this isn't anything bad at all. It's just that I felt like we're doing really good at this point in time. So we started this partially because 
We wanted to give people more content while they were stuck at home. Now, I'm not saying that next week you're no longer stuck at home. <laughs> Do not take this as any indication of that. Listen to your governments. But um, but at the same time, we need to do other things and get things together. And this has been some work going back and forth doing this. Yeah. And we had a good time and a lot of fun. And Rado is definitely always invited on the Dice Tower to do all sorts of things. Well, I should, well let me be clear. Well, I, I got to prove those things, you know. <laughs> I still actually, one of my favorite top tens we ever did was a top ten area control game. I don't know if you remember that. It was a while ago. You came down to visit us at the Dice Tower. Oh, right, in Florida, yeah. You, me, and uh, Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and we did two back-to-back, that and uh, Pick Up and Deliver, and none of us could agree on the basic precepts of what we were actually talking about, if I recall correctly. That's true. So, anyhow, (laughs) that's what's going on, but let's take a look now at 2020. Now, 2020, (coughs) obviously, was defined by the coronavirus. Uh, to, To pretend otherwise would be disingenuous. However, I think sometimes that we allow that to be the only defining thing of the year, and it's not. Other things did happen over the course of the year from, you know, obviously there was political stuff, which I don't want to jump into. And there was, um, you know, but in the board game realm, lots of things went on. In fact, I would wager to say that board gaming as a whole, not that there's parts of it that aren't doing so hot, but as a whole, board gaming is doing just fine coming at the end of the year. As a hobby, it is stronger than it was this time last year. Do you? you could, so, do you okay, so you agree on that as a whole, it's doing better? Yes. I mean, or, as, or at least as it good. Was, it was a uh, art form, for lack of a better term, that was very well positioned to uh, capitalize on this year. More people stuck at home, wondering, well, God, I'm hanging out with these people way too much. We have to come up with something. And we've already done 20 500-piece puzzles. I'm not doing that anymore. Anything other than another puzzle. Hey, well, and uh, what about Monopoly? No, gosh, no. But there must be something other than Monopoly. What's this? Something called Pandemic, which I, I think, to recall, uh, didn't Matt Leacock say at one point that Pandemic, uh, in spite of what one might assume, was surging, having bigger sales than it had in quite a while? He did say that. And yeah. I think that's because... Let's be honest. I, I, I don't see I can see why you might not want to play Pandemic because the theme makes you sad. But yeah. in Pandemic, you are stopping the disease, which I think is like a thing that we all aspire would happen. It's a positive game. Well, not if you lose, but it's a you know, it's a positive forward game. You're working together to stop the diseases. So I think that's something I would like to do. You know, it reminds me, back in World War II, there were people, the kids would play where someone would be Hitler and the kids would go get Hitler, right? Yeah. Because that was something they wanted to happen. Mm -hmm. And so this is the same thing here, except our Hitler is a virus. Yeah, that's that's what I would tell people. Is I mean, as I, I covered a pandemic game this year, a uh, Hot Zone, the little you know super fast express game, and people say, oh, "How can you cover this right now?" I mean, it's just you know c- capitalizing on you know all the suffering around the world. I'm like, no, it is epitomizing the best of humanity. It is telling a story of people working together to overcome incredible odds, and it is celebrating um, you know those who are on the front line trying to save everybody. I I. 
I found it moving in a positive way, playing a game of Pandemic this year um, and being reminded of all the sacrifices people were actually making to help everyone and coming together. So, yeah, I I, I never really uh, felt that way. But, you know, it is also a reflection of the fact that I think a lot more people were playing board games this year um, now, than I ever before. I actually have an expansion for a game I reviewed a couple years ago called Plague Incorporated. Oh, where you were the virus, yeah, and trying to destroy the world, um, and I never ended up playing or reviewing that expansion this year. That I think I'd be a significantly less comfortable playing at this point, including uh, the offshoot pandemic contagion, where you play as the virus instead. I think those probably hit a little too home or too close to home right now. Yeah. So what would you say, and folks, you can jump in here if you like, what are the trends of 2020? So you mentioned more families are playing games because you're running into that being possibly your only game group. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I'm sure a lot Which of gamers for you is okay, to, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, well, for us, it was no big deal at all. I mean, it's the same it thing. Just, uh, par for the course. One thing I was actually, I thought was very, very cool, again, as a, refl- a response to the pandemic, a bunch of publishers said, hey, you know, uh, we know you're all stuck at home. And um, how about we try to lift your spirits by giving you free print and play games? A bunch of publishers did this. Uh, yeah, Jamie Jen- Stegmeier did, did it. But how many people mm-hmm. actually printed those games? I don't know. But what the cool things is, I mean, I know of at least uh, three of them that are going to be turned into commercial games because they were liked enough. Pandora Merchants was one. It made my top ten of the year. It was so good. Jamie Stegmeier has one that he's going to be actually pro- professionally producing, although you can still just download it and print it out free right now. I think Board and Dice have one as well. I mean, the, a lot of them were literally just print and plays. Or, um, you know, I'm sorry, not print and plays. They were roll and rights. Which means sure. all you got to do is just print out a couple pieces of paper, and if you've got some dice, you can play it. And uh, I, I thought that was actually very, very cool. Um, you know, just a, a small way for publishers to to help out. You know, it's literally the same thing we did. You started this show as a as a response to um, the fact that people were going to be stuck at home a lot more, and you took it upon yourself to entertain everyone around the world for what you thought was going to be a couple of months. Yeah, that's like when I started those. Uh, daily chats. I was like, oh, I'll do this for a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I think there's that. It, it has definitely fostered. It's weird. So there's someone mentioned here in the thing, there's more online collaboration. You and I have talked more this year and we haven't seen each other in person than we sure. did when we were crossing paths at cons. And that's because yeah. at a con, usually it was like... <laughs> And then I would get sucked into an hour-long conversation yeah, with Rado. Passing in and then yeah. I'd be like, Rado, you're wasting my time. I got things to do and people to see. And um, So I, I have liked that. I've actually – don't get me wrong. I miss going out and seeing people. I miss cons, and I can't wait till they come back and things like that. But I have not disliked the slower pace. I have not mm. disliked the fact that I personally have spent a ton more time with my family than I've ever spent before. I have right. two daughters now who will play pretty much any game I bring to the table. I'm not bringing Lacerda games, but um, <laughs> pretty much. Well, that's probably not one you would necessarily bring to a table yourself, actually. Well, that's true, but I, uh, let me try to think of it. I, I'm not bringing a Twilight Struggle, I guess, and that's a game sure. I would play. Um, so I've liked that, and I've liked the more family time. A, a big trend, and many people have mentioned this, this here in the chat. Is solo gaming. Yeah. It's hard now to imagine a game coming out that does not have solo stuff in it. 
Yeah. Solo gaming was already on the rise anyway. Sure, um, but this you know, really accelerated it. Yeah, in, in the same way that a few years ago, two-player couples gaming was on the rise. Because if you go back 10 years, I am shocked. Um, or 15 years, most games didn't really seem to care about two-player gaming. And it's really over the last decade that we've seen such a huge rise. And I think now we were already starting to see Solo getting that same big bump because... You know, nobody looks askance at somebody doing the crossworded Sudoku puzzle in their, um, you know, in, in their newspaper. So wh- why is it such a big jump to say, well, how about I play a, a proper board game solo too? It's still a fun puzzle to solve. It's still a great narrative experience, depending on what you're playing. And uh, yeah, this year, it, you're right. It has very quickly become almost mandatory. Oh, do you want to be successful? You might want to include a solo mode in there. Uh, it's it's. It's, it's not just a one-and-done forgotten thing anymore. And, you know, uh, some designers have really risen to prominence, too. Dave Turchie and Morton Peterson are like, you know, the, 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 the dueling princes of solo design. You keep seeing their names pop up on all these games all over the place because they specialize in converting multiplayer gaming into a fun solo experience. And, I mean, to me, that's very exciting to see. I would say that I think... I... I... I wish it wasn't always as big of a thing in a game. Not because I'm anti-solo gaming. Far be it. I played more solo stuff this year than the rest of my life combined. But because I don't always want solo in a particular game. Let's say it's uh-huh. an interactive game. And I worry, as a consumer, sometimes the amount of stuff in it that's added for the solo game adds quite a bit to the price, and I feel like it's wasted. Oh, you think? Sometimes, mm-hmm. like sometimes there's a whole separate scenario book or a whole yeah. extra couple decks of cards or pieces, yeah. and it's a lot of extra stuff, and that, that adds to the cost of the game itself. I don't know of a solution because to sell an extra solo pack, first of all, that would enrage people. Yeah. Um, well, there is an easy solution that most everybody has in their pocket, which I don't have in my pocket right now, so I can't use it as a prop, is phones. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's expensive, though, too. Well, the development, I, well, it depends on where you go. I mean, I have a friend who uh, uh, actually got a, uh, an, an, a, a, what do you call it, a, a, an app to do basic scorekeeping for his game, and he basically found some programmers, I think, in India on Fiverr, and it cost him a couple hundred bucks to uh, get a really nice, solid, well-produced little app. So, I mean, there are options out there. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's more people are watching solo reviews. It's very simple now. I mean, we may... I've been putting it off for a while on the Dice Tower to do a solo game of the year Oh, for the Dice Tower Awards, but we might do that next year. That is interesting. You, you It's the same way. I, I think you had to be almost pulled kicking and screaming to include a co-op, didn't you? No, a few years no, ago? no, no, no. No, 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 no. Maybe I'm thinking I'm, of something else then. I'm on the front line of the co-op thing because I just yeah. I, I think co-ops are the best way to introduce people to the hobby because we're oh, totally, working totally. together to beat a game. Yep. Um, no, no, no. I, the reason I haven't done solo games in the past is not be, for any other nefarious reason than just when I said, who wants to do one? Three people raised their hand essentially and I thought – that's not enough for a vote. Oh, on your on your voting committee, there right. is it's the same reason you don't do a war game because you just don't have enough expertise amongst your yeah, voters. Yeah. Well, also, I I would be worried that the war gamers then the heavy war gamers will come in and just criticize that there already is war game things. So I don't 
I, I also I don't know that War Games needs its own genre award from the Dice Tower. We're we, we're not doing a fantasy games and a uh, mm. train games. We're not doing any. The only thing we do we do a mechanism cooperative game, but I think that's legitimate. It's a yeah. especially after this year because uh, I would especially argue. Cooperative is not a mechanism. It is a genre. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but it's not contrary a, to it's, what Board Game Geek would have you believe. It's not a theming. It's a way to play a game. It is yeah. a style. And what yeah. I mean is, it's huge. And I want to say, I think there was more of these in 2020 than ever before. I made mm-hmm. a top 10 cooperative games, and I could have probably done a top 25. There was that many cooperative games that came out. Um, and cooperative games also just naturally move themselves to solo. Because if oh, you yeah, play yeah. a game if, co-op, if you can play it solo. Be cooperative. It's not too far to take that extra step and make it solo compatible, too. That's interesting. That would be an interesting list. A list of cooperative games that don't work solo. There, there's that, got, what? There's got to be some, right? I, 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 either I dropped out or you dropped out there for a second. A list of cooperative games that... Oh, sorry. A list of cooperative games that don't work solo. Oh, that's interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean uh, right off the bat, excluding trader the stuff. There's the mind and Hanabi. Right. Yeah, those aren't going to work very well. I could be the mind by myself. Unless you have a really fancy app that uses the camera phone to look at your cards while you hold them up to the camera. Which, honestly, if that came out, I would definitely try that. Well, I would no, because want to give that a go. how would it simulate a person? It would be a robot. It, it should make the game easier because it would always play a card. How would you program that? It play, would be an interesting AI play card seven at seven all seconds I in. I never thought about it before, but now it's all I want to play is Solo Hanabi holding my cards up to a camera, so it will tell me. Oh, the third one. What? what why are you telling me that? Why you told me that five times, camera? Stop it. All right. <laughs> there are also other trends of this year. One of the there's a, a few trends. One trend is. Everything under the sun. I used to, t- Vassal's Law used to be every great game will be eventually reprinted. Yeah. I'm thinking about modifying it to being, did you make any money at all? It's going to be reprinted. <laughs> and not only are these yep. games reprinted, they're, we're retheming them, they're reworking them, they're yep. doing a second version of them. They're saying, hey, you like Raiders of the North Sea? Here's Raiders of Scythia. Hey, you like Gloomhaven? Here's Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. And these yep. games are. The, the reprints or reworkings or whatever you want to call them, there is a ton of them. Yeah. It's hard to find when people say, can I make the Holy Grail list? The list of games that are out of print and I wish they would reprint them. That's a hard list to do now. Because, you know, it's likely they will come along. I mean, I did a games that will probably never see a reprint of, so here's some alternatives you could try. I did that video a few years ago. I went back and recently looked, and I think all but three of them have now been reprinted. (laughs) And and it's, it's with good reason. I've mentioned this before, that as our industry grows and gets more mature, I think publishers are wise to follow the Hollywood model. Because in Hollywood, hey, you know what? Back in the in the 80s, that RoboCop movie was a big deal. Yes. So we can put out a new movie now and just cross our fingers and hope for the best that it will find an audience. Or we can remake RoboCop, which already has an audience. It's proven. And I mean, it just mitigates our risk. And the same thing is true here. They could come out with a completely new train game, or they could re-envision uh, Brass. And uh, 
all those people who've heard about brass can finally get brass. And um, if they just put out a completely new game, it would not have been anywhere near as close a guarantee. I mean, when I was doing my top 10 uh, this year, almost half of my list could have been um, deluxified 2.0 reprints because I some agree. of my favorite games got a big hit. And this, and to a lesser extent, the same thing happened in previous year. I think it's just going to continue more and more uh, because publishers are realizing, well, yeah, we can actually make smart business decisions and, and actually kind of clean up. I mean, there was a time a few years ago when the joke was, hey, uh, how, how do you make a million dollars in the board game industry? Well, you start with two million. Yes. And, you know, you know that kind of thing. But I, I think the industry as a whole is growing enough where there can be more almost cutthroat or, you know, just very bottom line business decisions that drive it, which is an interesting evolution because it didn't used to be that way. When I got into the gaming 10 years ago, it really felt a bit more passion. And, and there's still obviously tons of passion. And this is still an industry where, um, you know, if you have a dream, you can put it in a box and find success. That's not something you can do in Hollywood or writing or you know, most other creative endeavors. Board games are still that way for now. Well, you mentioned something in there, which I think is another thing. And I don't know if this is a positive trend or not. So tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the deluxified reprints. Yeah. We've got to a point now where it seems like companies are falling over themselves to make a bigger version than the other companies. Oh, sure, sure, every yeah. Every box is so huge and massive. And if, and if it's not, there's a, you can buy an extra empty box that is that huge and massive. And there's 7,000 expansions and variants that come out simultaneous with the game. And, you know, this used to be like the come on thing that happened. Yeah. But it is not just them. I mean, take a look at the recent Cleopatra and Society of Architects or Dwellings of Elder Vale or yep. all these games and, and, you know, every Lacerda game that comes out from Eagle Griffin. <laughs> And these companies are all, I mean, Suburbia came out with that giant box for Suburbia, and they're just about to do the same thing this coming January for Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Yeah, yep, exactly. Uh, and the human being only has so much space in their house. <laughs> you know, remember like four or five years ago, there was that trend of micro games, right? Yeah. That is not the current trend in games. No, 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 no. Bigger, bigger is better. And it's actually, it's an interesting contrast because five years ago in a video like this, um, it would not be at all uncommon for us to be complaining about what's with all these gigantic boxes full of air. Yeah, that's uh, true. You know, because it was, it was just, you know, it was battle for shelf space. You know, yeah, I've only got 120 cards and some stick, but we'll still put it in a ticket to ride size box so it'll look bigger in the store. Now we're complaining about, okay, the boxes are twice as big, and they're complete. You can barely get all the stuff back into them. And and that's, in such a short time, such a huge shift. But you're right. I mean, it, it's definitely here, and it's just smart business sense because, you know, I mean, for, from a production point of view, yeah, there's initial cost of goods. But it gets to the point where, oh, yeah, well, you can just throw in a couple more cards. You can just throw in a couple more punch boards. You've already crossed that threshold, and it's diminishing cost to put more in so let's put more in because we're competing um, with everybody else who has a double-stuffed so- box that is completely full to the brim, and we've got to draw attention. Yeah, I'm just concerned about it. Yeah. I think that we I, – I like – don't get me wrong. I like having a huge game, but there's a couple problems with having these huge games. One, some of them I don't play because as much as I like the game – to get it out and set it all up is a behemoth the intimidation task. factor. And yeah. then put it back in. Or just, it's, a, it's, it's almost as much work to get the game out and play it as it is to just play the game. 
The second is I'm slightly worried that the hobby is increasingly moving out of the range of lower class of financial people. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah, it's 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 kind of niching itself into like a really extreme elite experience you're worried about. Yeah, because I mean, if you want the best version of this game, you need to shell out two hundred bucks. I ah, mean, I, all these games are. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of inexpensive games out there, for sure. Yeah. But how many Kickstarters now were the? It just you know I, I still remember the first time a game went over sixty and people complained. Now people don't even blink when a game easily goes over a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's to be expected. I mean, uh, but and Besides the publisher inflation. justifies that, but with all those cardboard shits and all those minis and whatnot. I mean, that's certainly true. But I don't know. I would at this point, I think it's too early to call that. In the same way that a few years ago, everybody said, "Oh, digital apps are are you know these are the future," and and, and no, they're not. You know, legacy games from now on will have to destroy all our games so they can get more eyes. No, that's not hasn't really happened. There have always been these cool, new, hot, exciting things. And right now, in a post Gloomhaven world, in a post uh, Kingdom Death Monster world, or you know, your your dwellings of Eldervale could have been a nice, unassuming little worker placement game with a board and some pieces and some standees. But they went the extra mile. But I mean, there are I mean, the majority of my top ten list for this year was not that type of game. And, I mean, I wonder, at some point, if everybody keeps chasing after that, you're getting diminishing returns. Because I know you've complained about this in the past. I don't have time to, um, you know, for this game that offers me 2,000 hours of gameplay. How about something that's just kind of fun to get out and play once every couple of months and put back? And, um, you know, it, as players collect more and more Awakened Realm games and Cool Mini or Not games, and they realize, well, we, we can't play all of these that I wonder if um, you know the, the pool for enthusiasm for that will start to diminish. Because, I mean, what, what did I love? I, mean, I loved Cal- Calico, uh, which was my number one game of the year, is an amazing game, and it's a tiny, small, beautiful little unassuming game that I suspect owners of will get a lot more play out of a year from now than owners of you know the, the latest big box super game. And I, I think there's no, still I agree on that. that. I'm just, I'm but just Calico picking. will never be as big a hit as those, but it's still a passion driven industry. As I mentioned earlier, I'm just picking trends of 2020. Yes. You know, and I think that's a trend. I'm just hoping that it, that's not the thing, you know, that it, that's for everything. Yes. Big box games deserve. I, I think they're great to have. I just hope that not every game needs to be that big. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, has that happened in the video game industry? Uh, with, with the the dominance and rise of Grand Theft Auto style, huge epic games that offer thousands of hours in a world you will never explore all the nooks and crannies of. You know, those are clearly king of the hill in the video game industry. But that has not prevented tons of really great, smaller, more intimate, less ambitious games from coming out and finding audiences. I just don't know that that's necessarily a straight for straight um, comparison mm-hmm. because when I play. Breath of the Wild or uh, any of these open world games, yeah. I can just drop in and play. I don't need to look at six different rule books and look up extra stuff. Yeah. I'm just running around doing my thing. Yeah. And that's why I think open world games appeal to people because they almost feel ruleless. I don't have to figure out how to get past. If yeah. I can't get past this point, forget it. I'll go do something I'll else. I'll do something else, yeah. Um, yeah. They're actually my favorite, probably my, my favorite thing in a video game. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so 
If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Other trends, we talked about gaming grew as a whole, but there was an obvious effect of the coronavirus in the sense of how people got games. Mm -hmm. So you and I have both been around long enough to back when online game stores first showed up and there was huge debates online about how terrible they were for the hobby and how Mm. they were destroying the hobby. I like to say that that's been conclusively proved false since the hobby still exists 15 years after these debates started. But... And it's still growing faster than ever as well. That's the thing. So local game stores. I love good local game stores. I really do. They're fantastic. But they, I was told specifically that if the local game stores ever all shut down, the hobby would die. Well, Because they are the ultimate gateway. Those are the things that turn regular muggles into gamers because they're down at the local mall. And I've, I've, I've walked by this place so many times. I'm just going to step in and see what it's all about. And you get a good clerk like I did over a decade ago when I just stumbled into Blue Highway Games in Seattle, Washington, expecting to try and just pick up a copy of Scrabble. And I walked out with Pandemic and it changed my life. You know, I, I am I, I'm, I'm the, uh, the living example of that. And yes, there's a concern that uh, without that, without that way for people to get their foot through the door, that it, it's going to fundamentally change the trajectory of the industry. I don't expect that's really going to be the case, though. Well, that's the thing, though. The stores all did shut down for a couple months. And in fact, even now, the majority of stores, you cannot go play games in them. At Mm -hmm. best, you can go in and shop and go around. I know that some stores are allowing people to play games and masks and stuff. So, I, I mean, I know that stuff exists, but it's not the same. That being coupled with a rise this year of many games, not just online, but Target, and Barnes and Nobles and other places opened up their selection huge, yes. and Kickstarter just came in swinging to where mm-hmm. I still think, you know, I didn't know where Kickstarter would land, but they are definitely on the forefront for a hobby gamer. Yes, the there. If if all you did was buy Kickstarter games, you could be satisfied easily. You wouldn't feel like you were missing out on too much. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, at this point, if I had to choose between director retail games or Kickstarter games, I could only own one for whatever reason, uh, some capricious uh, spirit forced me to choose. I'd probably go with Kickstarter stuff. I, I, that's that's where uh, that's where those really big experiences you were talking about uh, truly exist. And it's also where you still, to this day, in spite of people's complaints, find the cute, quirky, offbeat little things that would never have been able to exist if it weren't for Kickstarter. That dream still exists on Kickstarter in spite of the fact that you have your cool minis or nots and whatnot, um, you know, dominating so much uh, of the oxygen. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the reality is if, if it's true, and it certainly was for me, that the, local, the friendly local game store was a huge, very important stepping stone for the industry, at some point, 
the industry or the genre or the hobby as a whole reaches enough critical mass that it can be self-sustaining. I have converted many people that are friends of my wife into gamers. It wasn't another store that did it. It was me. And I think they have the potential to go on. And as powerful and useful as a friendly local game store clerk was, now you can just do a Google search for best best board games to start out with. And you will find lots of really great articles that do that as well. The... Internet, um, you know, in terms of commerce, in terms of information sharing, in terms of everything, is changing all of human society. And it's doing it daily, and it's affecting the board game industry as much as anything else. My wife, these days, as a glass artist, sells the vast majority of her work online through Etsy. Ten years ago, she stole the vast majority of her work um, through local galleries that she developed relationships with. And you know, local game stores are, su- are suffering now. Local galleries are suffering now, too, because people just go to Etsy instead. This is a fundamental sea change for humanity uh, as a whole. And- sure, but it affects gaming a lot in, in that regard. And I agree. I, I want to be clear. This is not something I'm joyful or yeah. Freud, but I am a little satisfied in the fact that I have been saying that the local game stores are not as critical to the hobby as they said they were. But like, mm-hmm, if I you see. go away, what's going to happen? The hobby will survive because yeah. the hobby is mostly about people playing games and introducing people to games. Now, yeah. good game stores, and there are many of them out there, but not a ton because there's not a ton of gaming stores left, really. Exactly. But good gaming stores are going to survive this, and they are surviving this, and some of them are, are doing well in this. Yep. But you're going to see, folks, I predict more. We already see a ton of games this year that the only way to have gotten them was through Kickstarter or through a mm-hmm. pre-order. Yeah. You know, and. And that's just smart business for the publisher because they cut out the distributors. They cut out, you know, all of that stuff. So it's just more profit for them directly if they can, you know, do that direct business with the uh, end user. Sure. And what's their reason for doing otherwise? Shame. Like, it's. I, I still don't understand why a person who makes a game, it's their responsibility. If people buy their game, why is it their responsibility to care about a store in Albuquerque, whether that store sells their game or not? Yeah. You know, we have to be cautious sometimes. People say support your local game stores. But many of us, and this is, this is, I'm included in this number, we don't really have a local game store. The closest mm-hmm. one in my place is 30 minutes away, and it's an offshoot of cool stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the closest actual game store that's not an online game store is an hour and 10 minutes from my house so there's a lot of people in that situation but amazon has really stepped things up it's really easy not just and as you said a dynamic shift that people can get stuff anywhere yeah so i, I think to, I know, know, to, to counter that I, I do think there was a moment where they were an important stepping stone and we've kind of moved past that sure. and it, it is it, it's unavoidable i mean they are going to be affected by this it's literally uh, you know, 10 years from now, the friendly local game store is going to be a niche store, much like you can still go out and buy vinyl, um, you know, for people who, who are really hardcore into that. I mean, when we grew up, I'm sure you spent many hours in Tower of Records like I did. And that's disappeared now uh, because the industry shifted and people got their content in a different way. And it's going to be no different. And we lose something. Um, what's that John Cusack movie uh, about record store with Jack Black? Um High fidelity. Yes. Uh, you know, that actually chronicles a, 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 a time when there was this central thing that brought everybody together, and that's gone. 
Um, you know, and it's been replaced by the comment section on YouTube for music fans getting together to, uh, and, and that's just not the same. At the end of the day, um, you know, there will still be board game stores out there to provide that service. And it's, they, 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 it's not that they're providing the service of actually getting the games. They're providing the service of having a community that can rally around. Um, unfortunately, it, there'll be fewer and far between. And that is sad. There's no choice about it. But it's also inevitable. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just it, To me, the whole thing's fascinating. And, and the biggest thing is, is the, the rise of the Internet, right? Yeah, I no longer have to go to the store to hunt down that one other 18xx player. I can now just go <laughs> online and be like, "Who else plays 18xx games within 50 miles of me?" I can find them. Yeah. Board game geeks numbers have gone up tremendously this year. Um, so let's talk though on the other flip side, the 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 board gaming thing that hurt even worse than online game stores this year. I mean, board game stores this year. The thing yeah. that was absolutely devastated by the coronavirus were conventions. Yes. You and I what? said goodbye Convention at Dice Tower West. And that was the last convention other than, yeah. I think, Aragon in England. And that was it then. They all yeah. shut down. Had I known that, I would have gone to Gamma just to have been like, <laughs> woo, one last time. The first right? time you're like, okay, I'm going to take a break from Gamma this year. I and know. Was, yeah. I was so annoyed about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a thing. And so this is coming from someone who runs conventions. This is an incredibly frustrating experience for all the convention runners. Yep. It's mm-hmm. expensive. I've lost so much money on the on the Dice Tower conventions this wow, year. Wow, really? Well, yeah. Um, and fortunately... Even with the force majeure clauses in your contract and all yeah, of that? Yeah, but that doesn't or? cover everything. So let's say you're paying people salaries to do stuff. There's always okay. fees when you right. buy tickets and transferring tickets and transferring stuff. It is just an expensive ordeal. And then you're caught in these catch-22. So Dice Tower East is supposed to be this coming July. Can we have it? I don't know. People, on a, people online are going to scream either way, right? Oh, you should yeah. have it. You shouldn't have it. But the fact of the matter is we don't know. We don't know yeah. if we can have it. So can I sell tickets to it? Uh... <laughs> if you don't sell tickets and then we can have it, we lose money. If yeah. you sell tickets and we can have it, then you got to figure out what to do with those tickets and yada, yada, yada. And this, that's a small convention. Think about what Gen Con's going through at mm-hmm. this point in time. Yep. They have and to. And Essen and, yeah. Well, yeah, Essen at least has a little bit longer. But the fact is, you have to make these contracts way in advance. Now, you better believe every single contract in existence will mention a virus, at least in. <laughs> from some, now on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some sort of terms from now on. But it's a tough call because people want to get back together and we're already being divided into people who are screaming that we shouldn't get back together until 2022. Yep. Some people want to get back together tomorrow. The fact of the matter is we don't know. We really don't. And we just go from week to week. I, be- I believe in hope. I have hope, but I also listen to what I'm told to do. You know, <laughs> there's as you should, as you should. Um and it's interesting, we were talking a few minutes ago about, you know, the huge impact online gaming experience has, how it's fundamentally changed the industry. This is one place where it hasn't, because everybody and their mother tried to say, okay, virtual conventions, that's the thing. And, I mean, you did one or two yourself. And, yeah, well, uh, I, I want to be clear. What it, we and, did, and it is not the same. I'm, I'm not calling what we did a convention. We're calling them yeah. the spectaculars, the summer, spring it's spectacular because I, I, it's not a convention. 
It's just yeah. a big show we're putting on, and we hope people enjoy it, but it's not a con. And I'll go on record and say I think both Gen Con and Essen weren't very good. No. And in fact, the only good one I saw that worked in any sort of way was Board Game Geeks, and even that wasn't huge. Then mm-hmm. they did the best at it as they could, but it's a tough thing. Until I can put on goggles and walk up and say hi to people, a virtual con is not much more than a really busy chat room. Yes. Now, yep. online gaming is improving in vast leaps. That, you know, if you want to talk about the other trend of the year, obviously, that's something. Um, I mean, I, I remember this time last year, I think the Tabletopia guys, they were in a, they were hurting a bit. You know, they, they had not grown as fast as they thought, but now they've, they've had huge growth. Of course, Tabletop Simulator continues to basically be a source for board game piracy for every single game in the industry. So there's that as well. And it's getting to the point where publishers <laughs> now have to step up and start shutting it down because it will come a point where it hurts them. Um, and, uh, you know, and so, yeah, that's, that is where it's something that a few years ago people would have never touched with a 10-foot pole out of necessity, out of desperation for gaming. A lot of people who would have sworn never in a million years created accounts and signed up and got online and found that, well, it's not the same, but it ain't bad. So someone here mentioned in a comment they said that they never went to any conventions. Someone said conventions are very niche. Conventions are niche to some degree. Not everyone can go to conventions. Yeah. I, would, I mean, 60,000 people plus are going to Gen Con and Essen. But they're incredi- they've are they been incredibly big in our hobby. There's no question. Influential. Influential, yes. right. There's no question that all the board game companies, not all of them, but most of them, centered their releases around Gen Con and Essen. That mm-hmm. did not happen this year. And that actually was kind of a cool thing because we didn't have 800 games coming out at one time. <laughs> well, I, actually, we still kind of did. It was just impossible to get them. <laughs> well, sure, but what I mean is the also games, the but there was also people releasing games weeks before us and because oh, they yeah, didn't yeah, care. Yeah. You know, usually they'd be like, no, well, wait, 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 because they want everybody wants to have that really hot booth at Essen or really yeah. hot booth at Gen Con. But if Gen Con's not happening or if it's virtual, it's not that big of a deal. I actually bought some games from the Gen Con virtual thing to see what it was like. Oh. So I bought a few games. They showed up a month later. That is not the same thing. No. Um, stuffing them in your suitcase and taking them home and playing them that weekend. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, I also went to Essen. I looked at the prices of the games you could buy at the Spiel. And they were saying, oh, you'll get this game in January, February. I'm like, yeah, but I don't need to actually go to this digital con to do that. So until they can, again, figure out how to do that, that has diminished these. And I've talked to many publishers who have told me they've saved quite a bit of money by not going to cons. Yeah. It, cons, Gen Con booth prices were extremely expensive. So Ridiculously so, yes. I'll tell you, like our booth itself, our booth is a 10 by 20 at Gen okay. Con. And that's and kind I, of a medium size, right? It's the, the 10 by 10, 10 smallest by 20, size. and then you get into 20 by 20s. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You, can't even, you couldn't even get a 20 by 20. Like, even if like I, I, I told him, I said, I'll buy a 20 by 20. I couldn't even get one. But my mm. 10 by 20 cost 4500 I think. Okay. That is not including anything like super expensive hotels for a week, flying everybody there, eating while you're there, and all yep. that stuff. Cons are incredibly expensive. And then you've got to say, okay, well, how do I get my money back? 
Well, for a publisher, you don't. Let's say you have 300 copies of a popular game that sold for $50 each. Mm-hmm. That's $15,000. That's not $15,000 profit, by the way. That's $15,000 you made. That does yeah. not cover the cost of your booth and hotels and airline tickets. And so they're just going there to get the buzz going on their games. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, is that worth it? Because they're sitting there counting off all these things. And remember, I said I have a 10 by 20. Asmodee had like, you know, thousands of square feet. Think of how much they were paying. Some of these companies were paying in the hundreds of thousands of dollars to Essen and Gen Con. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's, I mean, I, I would say that's an example of board game publishers almost sort of outsourcing the job that I think they are realizing they have to take on themselves, which is consumer engagement, building brand loyalty. I mean, you look at Jamie Stegmeier and Stonemeyer Games does not have to go to a convention ever again because he's got the longest list of people who are signed up, ready to get whatever he gets as soon as possible. That's something that I think, for the most part, has been kind of a foreign concept to board game publishers. They're like, no, no, we just make the thing, we send it to distributors, it's out there, and we move on to the next thing, and it just takes care of itself, right? Oh, we have to do something? All right, let's go to a convention where we can talk to people about it and try and get some, uh, you know, and ultimately... That's nowhere near as cost effective as just trying to develop a really strong following for your brand. And uh, it's something that, I mean, I, I think more and more publishers really have to focus on that because they'll ultimately potentially get better results, um, you know, a, much, a much better return on investment if they can pull it off. So there's some good examples of that this year. You can look yeah. at the companies that put money into online marketing yes. and see how it worked. So, for example, we did our top 10 games this year, and everyone got on our case because we didn't mention the Lost Ruins of Arnak. Uh, This from us at the Dice Tower. Now, the Lost Ruins of Arnak was like my number 14 of the year, which I cannot emphasize how high that is out of hundreds of games, right? But it wasn't in the top 10. But why was everybody asking me about it? Was it because it was a really good game? It is a really good game, but CGE marketed the crap out of that game. Yes, they They are ahead of the curve. everyone about that game. Yeah. Pandasaurus and USopoly and other companies are going out there, um, Blue Orange and uh, Boards and Dice and Awaken Realms. These mm-hmm. companies are like, hey, we're going to go out there and market our games everywhere yeah. we can and as much as we can. And those are the games people hear about. Yep. And you can tell which companies are hurting a little bit who are not doing that. Yeah. Because they're saying, oh, you'll just find a game at your local store. No, I won't. Because yeah. I'm only going to be in that local store for 15 minutes. Or you'll play it at next convention. No, you won't. Because, exactly. Yeah, brand managers are fast becoming a thing. It used to be, well, really, your full-time job is just to get people excited about board games. And, uh, yeah, it's getting to the point where that is a reasonable investment for even a small publisher to make. Uh, because it'll have huge returns if they do their job well. Yeah, I don't know. It just it's a, it's a fascinating thing to watch. And, obviously... We have a piece of the pie here in the stake. So it's always weird for me to say people should advertise online more and people should work more with reviewers when that's what we do. And yet, even though (laughs) it is self-serving, that's what you should do. Mm -hmm. I am mind boggled when a company doesn't send a Dice Tower a review copy. Not because I'm egotistical and think we should get every copy, but just because it's like, don't, it costs that company 10 bucks. Yes. You know, to the it, bottom line. I actually laugh out loud now when I read a thread now where people are like, reviewers are in this to get free games. 
I have more games that I'm about to get rid of than a local game store has at this point. Yep. Mostly because we usually offload them at Dice Tower Con over the summer. That did not happen. So now we are sitting. It would make people sad. Your garage to see, is full. Yeah, it's to see the amount of games that are here. Um, but the, I know those games cost companies almost nothing. Yeah. And so if you have a new game, the why you wouldn't send it to the top fifty to one hundred reviewers blows my mind. And yep. if you say I have a really tight budget, then still sending out ten because every reviewer who reviews your game will probably sell one or two copies at minimum, which yes. automatically gets you that money back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's an interesting thing, and I think we're going to see shifts in the hobby because some companies aren't going to be able to pivot or just refuse to pivot with everything that's going on, and you're going to see some of these companies disappear as time goes by. Wow. I'm not, mm. I'm not calling out anyone, and I'm not even sure I'm thinking. I was about to ask you to call somebody out. Well, uh, no, here's the thing. Prediction. I'm not even sure. Uh, you never get to specific, and that's probably for the best. I'm not even sure, though, I'm thinking names in my head. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying that I, if you ask me what companies are hot right now, I can list the companies that are doing a really good job at talking up their games. Yes. Uh, like, for example. And getting other people to talk them up, too. Yeah. The guy who runs Scorpion Mask. Um, which is in uh, Yellow distributes their games. He just did a game Master Word and all. That guy will, when when convention season was there, he would hunt down every reviewer in the building personally and try to play the game with them. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't do that. So he is constantly emailing me and saying, I got this new game. Let me tell you about this game. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about this. And I've seen more reviews of his little games than many mm-hmm. other bigger companies because he's yep. pushing them. Yeah. So... I don't know. Huh. So, 2021's on its way. I'm hesitant to make yeah. too many predictions about 2021, even though I made 10 of them yesterday. Yep. Um, that, again, I just keep saying hope. That's my thing. But I also don't think gaming fell apart and we need to put it back together. No. Well, the elements of it. it I mean, it is... You know, the friendly local game store was already on its way out, and this really pushed them to extinction that much faster. And that is that, that's genuinely sad. It's it's sad for the industry as a whole, and it's certainly very sad for the families who you know made that their livelihood, and now they have to, you know, obviously, of course, that you know, the worldwide pandemic and shutting down governments around the world has hit lots of people um, equally badly. Um, but yes, the industry as a whole. The, the board games are still on the rise. Uh, I remember a few years ago and it was just like, wow, that's really weird that you see them in the background of um, the Big Bang Theory on somebody's shelves. It, it's, it's fast becoming where oh, it's, it's not unusual to, to see um, something on people's shelves in the background on TV now because we are growing uh, faster than honestly I would have expected. I thought we were a long ways off from you know, the singularity of breaking through into pop culture. Well, but, I'm getting less weird looks when I tell people what my job is now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you had a double weird of you you do a YouTube show and it's about board games. That's a double whammy. Sure. It, well, it used to be like you do a YouTube show and you're you're not 22. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're not yeah. talking about makeup or video games? Really? Now, a lot of people speaking of this have entered our arena. There is no mm-hmm. longer a few board game reviewers on the internet. Indeed. And Yep. Um, in fact, I would argue that podcasting has gone down considerably over the year 
not not that people are doing fewer podcasts, but mm. that podcast listenership has gone down because commutes are down. I don't have any. Oh, that's a really interesting observation. I yeah. don't have any hard facts for that, other than just personal people telling me. I look at my own numbers. You have which, a podcast. It does tell you stats. You know, you could look does, that up, and it stays. It stayed pretty samey, maybe slightly lower, mm-hmm. and but the videos are definitely going up. Yeah, views on videos are going up. However, that's competing with the fact that there is now. I, I, I couldn't even give you a number of how many board game reviewers there are. There's probably 300. There's so many people doing what we're doing right now, mm-hmm. which is fine. For some of those people, it's a way that they are passing the time because yeah. there's nothing else to do right now. So they're doing a video show. And that's fine. Some of those people are doing it because they lost their job and they're looking for a way to monetize. Um, and some of the people are doing it because they love board games and just this is the time that they're starting. It just happens to be now. You'll see that the majority of these people will fade off the scene as time goes by. And I don't mean it to be negative. It just happens with everything in life. Yeah. But some of them are going to stick around and become big names in the future. Who are those people? I don't know yet. You know, but it is exciting to see there's a strong, diverse group of voices out there now. Yep. We're seeing constant growth. We're seeing people. I feel like I'm being pushed all the time by other reviewers. And I'm trying to make my stuff better. Trying to think of new things to do. I'm still coming for you, Tom. He is. <laughs> Rado started his own network now of uh, reviewers. Yep. Well, look yeah. how many years it took you to get rid of a shaky camera. Come on, I'm not worried. I, I, I was very slow to let that go. And now I look back and I'm what was I thinking? It was, it's so much easier now. Instead of holding a little iPhone 4. I was stubborn. I was well, stubborn. I just let something go in my first review oh. today. And we'll see how long that lasts. But I've made a pretty major change that we'll see what happens. Did you just, did you drop the drop? We'll see. Oh, my folks. Wow. <laughs> um, Without Melody, that has to be such a pain to have to deal with. Well, she hasn't done that in years. Uh, I know. No. It's, this is the last year I have unmarried, this is the last week I have unmarried children. Um, so, for me... This show has been a highlight this year, and I know people are all fussing in the comments about it. We appreciate that, but again, I will have Rado back on my show. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've done top tens with you before. This this is an offshoot of us meeting at conventions and doing our little head-to-heads. And you thought that that worked out so well, you wanted to have something online. We will meet again, Tom. We will meet again. (laughs) Stay alive. I will find you. Probably sooner than you all think. But this has been fun to do this, this this year. I've had fun communicating with people. It's interesting to be, I don't know about you, but when I look at names in the chat now, I, I feel like I know hundreds yeah. of different people now uh, that I, I, I get to talk to. And I'm at a convention. I'll be like, well, I'm so-and-so. And I'll be like, oh, it's you. <laughs> you know, and I think that's cool. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, it's been a tough year in many ways for many people. I can't complain as much. No. Uh, I've people still watch our show board gaming seems to be doing okay and the folks here who are watching and doing stuff are really enjoyable to hang out with and you know every time I think that it's not the case I'll watch other live shows in other hobbies say video games Mm -hmm. and I look at the comment section there and I'm like wow I occasionally have to 
censor moderate yeah. uh, moderate a question or a comment like very rarely in video gaming i'm mind blown by the things people say there <laughs> yep yeah just step away close the close the chat window definitely yeah that yeah, being yeah. said though my daughter who's sitting right next to me here constantly reminds me that the people that she watches stream will have 100,000 people watching we have currently <laughs> 400 <laughs> she's keeping you humble yeah that's uh one of the uh, perks of teenage children if you've not noticed yeah very um, very so, all right, you got anything, any final thoughts on the year? Uh, no, I am, you know, I, I, I'm about to do my, my, my most anticipated for next year. And to do, and first up, I went back and looked at the one I did last year on January 1st. And I was just, I, I was starting out, oh, 2020 is going to be so great. I, I, I'm, I'm so full of hope and excitement, and enthusiasm and optimism for, you know, a, a forward trajectory. And I'm a little hesitant to say that for 2021, but I still do feel that way. I am, um, you know, in spite of everything as a species we have gone through this year, I do think um, we are still on a forward upward trend. And uh, it's sometimes it's hard to see that, but across the, you know, the arc of history, things are still always getting better. And that's true for the board game. Uh, and I'm still so happy and so lucky that I get to share it with my wife and my best friend, Jen. She is my number one and pretty much only gaming partner for most of the year. And uh, I, 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 I'm just incredibly thankful. And on that note, something that yes. Rado did a couple years ago and I've started doing is um, I'm cutting out some of the more negative areas of the Internet out of my life completely. Yes. Yeah. Really helps bring your attitude around to a positive thing. Yep. Um, I, I, people don't realize it, and I encourage you all to affirm people. If you like something that someone does, not me, I'm not asking for emails from me, but if you'd like something that someone does, tell them you like it. Yeah. Tell them it's a good job. That's, there's not enough of that going around. Enough people tell them when it's a bad job. Yep. You know. I, uh, that, that's true. I mean, every morning I get up and I look at the comments that have gone on my channel over while I was asleep. And it's very, very difficult to get past the, oh, oh, man, you're mean, you're nasty. But the number one thing that helps is, well, you know what? For every one of those, there's 20 that are, I love your show so much, Rado. It's really made my day. It really helped me out. And I mean, you have to remember people putting this stuff together, they are human beings and we respond to kindness. And I mean, if you can reach out and share that, you will be making someone else's life a little bit better. And it doesn't cost you anything to do it. It's so easy. You'll feel better for doing it too. And if you have Disney Plus, go watch Soul. Oh super, my gosh. Super uplifting movie. I just watched yes. it last night. And. Yep. So I wanted to walk out my door as soon as the movie was over, just like, woohoo, but I couldn't because it was night and I need to stay inside. But, uh, yeah. All right. Well, that's so it, we're folks. ending Carter Carter with a corporate shill sellout. How much did you make for that there, Tom? <laughs> oh, my God. No, I don't care. No. Yeah, I wish I was getting, I wish I was getting Everybody Disney money. Everybody get your yearly money. subscription for Disney Plus. Use the special code, Tom says. If I was getting Disney money. Uh, oh, there will yeah. no longer be a Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, again, folks, I'm not saying Corner Corner will never come back. Oh, you yeah. never know. We'll see what happens. Thanks so much for watching, though. Uh, Rado, when's your next thing coming? Uh, oh. You said you were doing your anticipation. Oh, yeah. Uh, this Friday. 
Uh, join me live at 11 a.m. West Coast time where I will be counting down my top 25 most anticipated games for 2021. And I'll be live tomorrow playing Terraforming Mars on my channel with the new Prelude expansion. Oh, nice. Considered to be essential by me. So, All right. until next time, I'm Tom Vassell. I'm Rado. Have fun gaming, everybody. Bye.